0: I grew up in the church and have grown up around Christianity and talking about theology and beliefs. So that song for me sometimes is pretty easy to sing. Uh, And for many of you, the same is true. You've grown up around it. So singing those words with those truths tucked into it is easy for you. But I also know that for many, you didn't grow up in the church and sometimes you're not sure what you believe And so singing those words uh, from your heart is a little bit more difficult. And one of the things I love about our church is that we're a community that gives space and time for people to walk out and study and think and explore faith in many different ways. So you are welcome in this place. No matter where you've been in your past and what your life has looked like, you are welcome uh, in this community. You have a home here among us. And I love that about McDowell. Uh, we 're kicking off a new series today, and we 've got this great title it, it might just the title itself might put you to sleep it 's called the Theology Project Come on, somebody get excited about theology the theology project we 're going to talk over the next few weeks uh, about theology and I know like just saying that. Some of you are like, could I slip out without him noticing that I'm going to slip out in the next few minutes? And how many weeks is the series going to be? Because, you know, I'll I'll just come back when they're done and be done with theology. Theology is important for us to talk about every now and then. And so we're going to do that over the next few weeks. Now, theology is an interesting thing because theology has the power to divide people in a very powerful way. And the truth is, in our world, we live in a place Uh, in a culture, in a time when division is very common in our world. Can I get an amen? Amen. If you're on Facebook, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I gave up Facebook for the summer at least, maybe for life, because it's so divisive. Like the way we talk to each other is strange, and we dehumanize one another and do all these things, and it's very divisive, and our world is a divisive place. And so we want to talk about the importance of theology and how it may be also have the power to bring us together. Now, to talk about division, I have a couple questions for you, and I need you to participate. So are you here this morning? Are you with me? Yes. So let's participate. How many of you are dog people in the room? How many dog people do we have? Yes. How many cat people do we have in the room? A lot less. Yeah. Um, I, I, had, I had a cat um, for a day one time, and I realized they're demonic at some level. Not all of them, just most of them. And, uh, and here's the deal though, we can still get along. Those of you who, I have some friends who are cat people and I don't understand them, but we still can get together and eat. See, some people are leaving because I just said that. Um, we can still like, we can still get along. Okay, another question. How many of you, and if you had to choose, some of you don't care, but if you had to choose, how many of you, U of A? How many U of A people do we have in the room? Yes, yes, yes. How many ASU people do we have in the room? Louder. Okay, yelling for the Devils in church. That's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting, but okay. Um, Northern Arizona lumberjacks. We have yes. Look at the showing of the lumberjacks. And then Grand Canyon. Any Grand Canyon? Some of you like raised your hand for every single one of them. <laughs> now, what I've found to be true in Arizona. I lived in Alabama. I grew up in Alabama. And in Alabama, you choose Auburn or Alabama. There is no in-between. Like, you, you love one and hate the other. You grow up with that. When I moved to Oklahoma, the same was true in Oklahoma. You had to choose the Sooners or the Cowboys. And just because I like to step on toes, I chose the Cowboys. Most people cheer for the Sooners. They win more, but that's okay. I go for the Cowboys. In Arizona, it's, it's like people don't even care. Like, it's just... <laughs> They're like, hey, uh, do you like to spend most of your time outside or inside? That's the question I was confronted with when I moved to Arizona. That was about it. Um, But we can still all get along. Here's another one. How many, um, for those of you who even know what I'm talking about, how many Chevy fans do we have in the room? Chevy? How many Ford fans do we have in the room? Yeah, see, it's a smaller number even raising. How many um, BMW fans? No, just kidding. Don't raise your hands. Yeah, we can we can still get along. How many republic? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that. <laughs> You'll start throwing things at me. We live. So I'm just kidding about most of that. But we live in a very divisive world, and one of the challenges is when we when we place ourselves within groups with boundaries, tight boundaries around those groups and we look at others as living within other boundaries, especially when we're disconnected relationally from them, we begin to dehumanize people and fail to see them as people having been created by God and worthy of respect and honor and trust. And so today I want to start by talking, uh, there's this little passage of Scripture. I want to start the series, kind of lay the foundation something that's really important to us here at McDowell, Uh, something that Jesus said at the very end of his life. And this is recorded in the book of John. And Jesus is praying on the night that he's betrayed. And this is what he prays. Uh, Jesus prays, I am praying not only for these disciples. So Jesus is about to be crucified. He's going to be arrested, tried, crucified. And he's saying, "I'm, I'm praying for these disciples who are with me because it's going to become very difficult for them. But then Jesus says, I'm not only praying for these disciples, but I'm also praying for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Now, time out. Do you realize that Jesus prayed for you and he prayed for me. That's a pretty powerful uh, understanding when we realize that Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he was thinking about us. Like he had us, any believers who would ever live. He had us, those of us who claim to believe. He had us in mind. And here's what he prayed for. He said, Father, not just for these disciples, but those who will ever believe. I pray that they would show up at church every Sunday, that they would read their Bibles every day, that they would teach Sunday school classes, that they would give their money when the plates are passed. I pray that they would do this on a really regular basis. Hashtag not in the Bible. (laughs) No. I mean, listen to the one thing Jesus prayed for when when he prays for us. I pray that they will all be one. I pray that they will all be one. And then he ties it in to say, just as you, he's talking to the Father, you and I are one. He prays that we, the church believers, in the world at large, would be one. Now, do you believe we're doing a pretty good job of that in today's world as the church? No. No, there's so much division, even Within the church. Now, here is why unity for me, and this is Matt's perspective, here's why I think it's so important for us is because unity has the potential to be one of the most powerful, one of the most powerful apologetics in the world today. In a world of division, unity has the potential to display an aspect of who God is in ways that nothing else can. Are you with me? So unity has the potential to be one of the church's greatest apologetics. That's a big word. Apologetics uh, means kind of a defense of the faith. So how do we defend our faith? How do we defend what we believe? That's an apologetic. I believe that unity is one of the most powerful apologetics, defense of the faith, that's out there. Not that we would be able to talk people into believing the same thing that we, would be, that, that we believe, but rather that we would live in such a way and respect people in such a way that displays God's love for the world. For God so loved the world. Yeah, so it would display this love for the world in the ways that we are unified in the church. Now, it's a great challenge, I know. Unity is a huge challenge. And really, there are two primary reasons we often divide in the church, and here, here are those reasons. One is theology, and the second one is liturgy. So theology, um, both, these are both theological, kind of theological words. I had to look them up to know what they mean. <laughs> theology, if you break it down, it literally means God words or God talk. So it's the study of God. Uh, theology is the study of God, and oftentimes when we study God, And we come up with these beliefs that causes us to divide from other Christians. I believe this, you believe that. So it causes division. Liturgy literally means the work of the people. So if you translate it literally, it means the work of the people. But the way we could say it is the common practice in a community of people. So for us, liturgy is the ways that we operate together, the ways that we live in common with one another. Does that make sense? And these are the two primary reasons that churches tend to to divide. Now, I'm going to do something that's going to put some of you to sleep. Are you okay with that? How many of you, um, so here's another one of the either or. How many of you like history? Okay, so I'll at least keep a few of you awake. I'm going to talk about history just for a couple minutes, so stay with me. Those of you who fall asleep, I'll wake you up in a little bit. I may use your name, so I apologize for that. But I want to give you a little like background on when the church began to divide throughout time and how we got to the place where we are today, okay? Now, I'm gonna put a map up here, a a visual. It's gonna be tough to read. Some of you, I know you like to do this. You wanna pull your camera out and take a picture. I will post this in a few different places so that you can see it. So don't feel like you have to take a picture and it's gonna be really tough to read, but I think you'll get the idea. You with me? Okay, here we go. So the church, when it was instituted by Jesus, when Jesus launched his disciples... (laughs) I know. I'll post it somewhere. I just want you to see, though, kind of what took place. So if you start on the far left, monotheism, means belief in one God. Islam, uh, belief in one God. Judaism, belief in one God. And then out of Judaism flows Christianity because Jesus was Jewish. Very good. So you're with me. Um, Some of you will be asleep in a minute. Uh, Christianity began... Jesus launched the church with his original disciples. He said, Go into all the world making disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus launched a movement. This was the church. This church really had no major divisions. There were some pieces that would break off, but but no major divisions until 1054. For a thousand years, the church was unified. Isn't that beautiful? Now, sometimes what happens when those who are in power don't open themselves with humility to a broader picture, they use that power to control other people. And that began to take place from time to time. In 1054, this break between the Eastern and the Western Church. The Western Church is kind of what we know as the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the Eastern Church has kind of gone in many different directions, but a lot of times we use the word Orthodox for that, that side. Then in 1520, you might have heard of this, called the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation basically began when a guy named Martin Luther, this was about 500 years ago, Martin Luther uh, was studying and teaching for the Catholic Church. And he said, wait a minute, the church is doing some things that aren't necessarily biblical, but nobody can read the Bible because it's all in a different language and they don't let people read the Bible, So he nailed these theses to a, to a door. The Roman Catholic Church got that. They didn't like that. They excommunicated him and chased him, tried to kill him, all these different things. So that began the Protestant Reformation. So from 1520 around there, look at the division that has taken place in the church. So much good came out of the Protestant Reformation. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But also so much division began to take place in the church. Now, our roots. This goes actually higher than what you see on here. You can kind of see it runs out and lower. Um, our roots. Our roots kind of led through the Anabaptist Believers Church, then through the Brethren in Christ, and it also went through the Anglican, Methodist, Wesleyan Holiness Churches. And what you land on over here in the late 1800s is the start of a, a movement, a collection of churches that wanted to, to be about two primary things, the two first things listed there. You probably can't see them. Unity and what's called holiness. Unity was this idea of, can't we all just get along? Something like that. Um, can't we focus on the things we agree on and kind of give room and grace and space for these other issues that are out here? Does that make sense? And secondly, unity, or I mean, uh, Holiness, which basically means Christ-like living. Can't we actually live what we say we believe? Can't we do the things that we we say we believe? Can't we live like Christ who we follow? Are you with me so far? Okay, I'll wake the others of you up here in just a couple of minutes. This is kind of our path. The Church of God began not as a denomination, not as a group that said, we want to solidify in this box who we are, but rather a group that said, anyone's welcome who claims Christ as their Savior, right? Right? Every, what they called in those days, we don't use this terminology anymore, but every blood-washed one, which means anyone who claims the power of Jesus in their life, can be a part of the church. Now, division and a desire to move toward unity, belief and practice, those things that divide us. One of the biggest questions that comes is this. How do we determine what we believe? What is right theology? What is orthodox? And uh, almost every scholar throughout the centuries would agree with this, that, um, that this is what informs our belief. Uh, number one, Scripture. You would probably agree with that. Should Scripture inform our belief as a group of people? Yes. So Scripture is foundational, and then falling under Scripture is tradition reason, and experience. Those three things, tradition, this 2,000 years of history we have, like some of that, some of their teachings and their learnings, that should inform what we believe. Uh, Reason, we should use our minds. Have you ever heard that Christians are just a bunch of people who don't really think? Like they're not intelligent, like Christians aren't intelligent? Well, Christianity was, was intended to, to, to use our minds to engage every part of us. It's why Jesus, one of the things he said was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. We should use our minds. So reason should inform our belief. And then also experience, the ways that we experience things. Let me give you an example of this. Um, I grew up in a home that never had alcohol in the home, ever, ever. Like, we never had alcohol on our table. We never ate with people who had alcohol on the table. So I grew up just assuming that all good people refrain from drinking. Some of you are laughing right now. <laughs> that, that's how I grew up. As I got older, I began to learn something. That my dad grew up in a home with an alcoholic father who abused his kids. When my dad was 15... His alcoholic father committed suicide, and my dad found him. From that moment, um, and I've talked about this many times, um, from that moment on, my dad decided, I will never drink alcohol, and I will never have it in my house because I've seen the effects that it can have on a family. So as I got older, I began to say, well, does that mean that alcohol is sinful? And my dad said, no, absolutely not. It's just not good for us in our home because of what it's done in the past, which is a great idea. That is my dad's experience, which informs his beliefs and what his practice should be, but is not for everyone. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the challenges with this whole framework is this, that scripture has already undergone interpretation, tradition and assumption before it even gets to us because it's written in another language. Unless we're reading Hebrew and Greek, like there's been so much interpretation already done. So that's a challenge for us is that we're removed a couple of times from the original language. Now, I told you we'd get a little out there. Um, We can learn from people on both ends of the spectrum, conservatives and liberals, both. Would you agree with that? We can learn from all people. Some of you are a little bit less hesitant. You're like more hesitant to say yes, but we can. We can learn from people on both ends of the spectrum. Um, Olson is a, uh, Roger Olson is a, is a theologian, and I like, uh, I like this thought. For Christians, beliefs matter. Can I get an amen? amen? Beliefs matter for Christians, but not all beliefs matter equally. Okay, I got amen from like three of you. Not all beliefs matter equally there are some beliefs that aren't at the central of who Jesus is. And so not all of these things matter equally. Uh, Brian McLaren says this. um, He says that generous orthodoxy, orthodoxy just means right belief, like the correct thinking. A generous orthodoxy presumes that the divisions in the church, though they're tragic, are superficial compared to Christianity's deep, though often unappreciated unity. In other words, that though we have these divisions in the church, though we have different churches all around us, there's a Catholic church across the street, Scottsdale Bible down the, down the street, there's CCV, there's all these different churches around us. Though there are some divisions, those are superficial when, when we think about it compared to Christianity's deep desire and need for unity to be together, moving in the same direction. And it's why we as a church hold unity with high regard. Now, a couple of thoughts. Unity is not uniformity. Unity, so the idea that we're held together by something, is not uniformity those are two very different things and if we as a church demand uniformity so the idea it's up on another slide if we expect or demand uniformity like many of us are accustomed to doing if we demand that to be in the church you've got to do all of these things to be a christian you've got to do all of these things you've got to check all of these boxes if we demand uniformity we fail to recognize, now catch this, this is a little bit difficult for us. We fail to recognize our own need for growth and our own limited perspective. Are you with me? So if we, as a community of people, say, hey, you are welcome here. As long as these 95 checkpoints, you sign off on these. You know, and when you walk in the door, Just know that when you walk in the door, you're checking off the little box at the bottom of the contract that nobody reads that says, I agree to the terms listed above. Like when you come in, you're just automatically, because we want you to be uniform. If we do that, we fail to understand our own limited perspective and our need for growth. Listen, I don't have all the answers. And neither do you. And my mind is limited. That was my wife who said amen right over here. Like, <laughs> m- my mind and my capacity is limited, and so is yours. Just the idea that a human mind could understand the magnificence and beauty of a God who created the world in which we live is a huge stretch, is it not? Yeah. So we don't demand uniformity. Now, some of you are pushing like, well, wait a minute. Does that mean everything goes? Because I know how some of you think. Does that mean everything goes? Is everything open to whatever anybody believes. Well, the second piece is true as well. If we open the church to anything and everything, like if whatever you believe is okay, can't we all just get along? <laughs> like if, if, if it's open to anything and everything, we dilute Christianity of its unique, there's a uniqueness to Christianity. And definitive beliefs, there are some definitive beliefs within Christianity. Let me give you an example. God, the Father, entered into humanity through Christ the Son. If we, like, let go of that, Christianity loses its uniqueness in the world. And it loses the beauty of a God who loves us so much, He's willing to take on human form so that we might get to know Him. Like, there's a beauty in that. And so, if we're open to anything and everything, we, we, we dilute Christianity, and don't miss this, it's it's possible that we lose our identity in Jesus Christ, which is central. Our identity in Jesus Christ is central to what makes Christians Christians. So we don't, we don't demand uniformity. We don't open ourselves to anything and everything. So where are we? <laughs> like what does that m- mean for us As a people. Uh, Jesus says this, uh, one of the pictures he he paints is that the the church is a body. And the body has many different parts, but they make up one body. And, and, And here's the picture that he's painting: is that there are many different expressions of the church in the world, yet there is one purpose, one body, one purpose, one love, one heart, and that is, don't miss this, that is to bring the kingdom of God into the world in which we live. That's the purpose of the church, is to bring the kingdom of God into the world in which we live. And we do this by the way we interact and love one another. It's the body, the human body. What that means for us is that the churches that we see around us are not competition. They're never competition. It's never about trying to get people from another church into the doors here. There are people in this world who have never known or experienced the love of God. That is our target. That's our audience. That's who we're trying to reach. Trinity Church, brothers and sisters. Scottsdale Bible, brothers and sisters. CCV, brothers and sisters. Highlands, brothers and sisters. I mean, name a church. Name a church. Seriously, name a church. Brothers and sisters, right? As long as Jesus is at the center, they're in. We're in. We're we're together, One goal, one purpose to bring God's kingdom into the earth. So some of you are like, we're really going to talk about this for weeks. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The stream of Christianity is wider than we often imagine. I know the way is narrow, but the stream of Christianity is often wider than we imagine. And at the center and primary in that stream is Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who creates the boundary markers and he's the one who keeps us flowing in the same direction. by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, like Jesus is the one who kind of creates the boundaries and keeps us flowing. We're in the, we're we're like we're in this little part of the stream right over here. And sometimes we get to like poke our heads out and look around and we're like, "Whoa, it's there's somebody over there that I never knew." You know that we were Look, look, Terry. I thought Terry was crazy. Like, we can can go to In-N-Out and sit down and enjoy a meal, even if we don't agree on everything, right? Oh, and look over there. More brothers and sisters. And then we kind of bob back down, and we're in our stream, realizing that it's so much bigger. So here's the part. Okay, wake up. Everybody, come back. Here we go. So how do we build unity? If, if unity is one of the goals around Christ, how do we build unity? That's a good question to ask, right? Are you with me? Okay. Here we go. I'm going to give you four ideas and thoughts, and then we'll land the plane. Respect. Humility. It's hard for me to say that next word. I'm not a fan of that next word. Patience and love. Respect humility, patience, and love. That's how we build unity. Now, some of you are like, well, what does that mean? Like, day to day, what does that mean? Let me give you some ideas. Here's what it means. Respect. Dean, I know we might disagree on a lot of things. We, we may not see eye to eye on a lot of things. You're obviously wrong about the U of A thing. But, I mean, even with, in, in, as it relates to God, but here's what, I, here's, here's what I need to know and remind myself of. You were created by God. You are created by God, and you bear his image deep within you. Even though I might not see it all the time, you bear his image deep within you. And because of that, I'm going to respect you, even if I don't see eye to eye with you. Is that, are you with me? Like, that's what it means to respect someone, to say, you know what? You believe, you, you believe Buddhism is the way, right? Now, we might not have unity in terms of our faith, but I'm still going to respect you, even though you're outside of the stream. Respect is really important no matter who we interact with. Vitally important within the stream of Christianity. I'm going to respect you, even if we don't see eye to eye about all the little things. Humility. Humility. John, look, I, like my mind, I know you think I'm brilliant. (laughs) But I'm limited, like, and my perspective. I mean, listen. I grew up in Alabama, y'all. <laughs> my perspective is limited. The capacity of my mind is only it only goes so far. And here's what I know about you. Even though maybe you never studied theology, I can learn so much from you because your experience and your perspective is different than mine. So I'm gonna humble myself and learn from someone that I may disagree from time to time with. Does that make sense? Are you still with me? Patience. Let's skip that one. I don't have time. (laughs) Love. (laughs) Love. Love. Okay, patience. Here's what patience says, is that we all still have a long way to go. Like I haven't arrived, and I know that you haven't arrived either. Like none of us have arrived. We've got a long way to go, and therefore I'm going to be patient with you. And I need you to be patient with me. I am not who I will be in 10 years. Today, if, if I am, if I'm the same person in 10 years that I am today, that's a problem. You should fire me if that's the case. Get rid of me. Okay, patience. Love. Above all else. As followers of Jesus, we should be marked by love. Above all else. Regardless of of how crazy I think your beliefs are and how crazy you think my beliefs are, at the end of the day, I want to be marked by the thing Jesus was marked by, and that's his love. You know what's interesting about Jesus' life? His biggest uh, critics were the religious people of his day. And you know what they complained about? They complained that he didn't follow the rules and that he hung out with the wrong people. Those two things. He didn't follow the rules, which meant his theology was off, his beliefs were off, and he hung out with the wrong people. His practice was wrong. And Jesus still loved them to the very end. He was marked by love to the very end. Unity. Vitally important for us as a church. So the question that probably jumps up, and like some of you are dying to ask me, some of you have probably already emailed me. I felt an email come in when you were, um, you've probably already emailed me. Like, if that's true, Matt, then what are the essentials? What are most important? And that's what we're going to talk about the next few weeks. Now, if you've been sleeping through the whole thing, good news. We filmed a two-minute version of the 30 minutes I just talked. We want to give you an elevator conversation on unity, and we're going to do this for the next uh, number of weeks as we walk through this series, just to give you a quick picture of what unity means. And so here's the two-minute version, the two-minute theology around unity. So near the end of his life, Jesus, in one of his final prayers, prayed that we, followers of Jesus in the future, would be one, just as He and the Father were one. In other words, He was praying for our unity, which means unity is probably important. One of the reasons I think unity in the church is so important is because I believe it's one of the primary apologetics for the church in the world today. In other words, when the world sees us loving one another, serving one another, humbling ourselves, walking with one another, even when we have some differences, the world gets a picture of God and his kingdom. You know the truth is the Christian stream is so much larger than we often think. There are those within the Christian stream who have little differences in what they believe but we're still in the same stream together. You know for the first thousand years there were no divisions in the church and then in 1054 the first division of the church happened the eastern and western church and then in the 1500s there was another division that took place the Protestant Reformation. There was so much good that came out from the Protestant Reformation, but there were also many divisions that followed. We've lost some of the unity that Christ prayed for early on. Now, unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean we all look alike. It doesn't even mean we all think alike. For us here at McDowell, unity is so very important to what we do. It's one of the reasons that we say, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty and in all things charity. In other words, we give grace, we humble ourselves, we respect one another, even if we believe just a little bit differently, which raises the question, well, what are the essentials? And that's a great question to tackle these next few weeks. All right, are you with me? The Theology Project, the next few weeks. Stand, let's stand together. Let's stand together. And I'm going to say a prayer over you. And then... The summer of study is upon us. Father God, you are a good God. We love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us our minds so that we can think and reason. And we pray over the next few weeks we would grasp uh, what it means to be a a group together, a body, even with some differences among us. I pray that we would open the door wider than we, we often think, that we would see others as brothers and sisters, that we would display your love and grace to this world, And we pray that over the next few weeks, you would teach us some core beliefs that we have within us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.